All right, everyone. Welcome to episode nine. I almost lost track there. Welcome to episode nine of Uncovering Satanism. This has been a wild journey as we've traveled from the like early 18th century all the way to the modern day Satanism. But in today's episode, we are not going to be discussing directly about any Satanic characters. We're not going to be discussing about any child rapes or sacrifices or anything. Uh, what we're going to be covering is now how, as especially for us Christians, we're in a culture today uh, where there's a lot of you know modern day churches. You know we see a lot of um, um, false preachers, a lot of false teachers, a lot of indoctrination going about us. And this is pretty much the cause of modern-day satanic ideologies about self-centeredness seeping into the church that do not hold true and steadfast to the true value and the true moral uh, standards of what the Bible has given us. And we take what we want from the Bible, and we take what we want from culture, and we mix them together. That's the result, indoctrination, and you're spreading them about. So we're going to be not rebuking people. For those of you who might just be hearing, you you might be thinking we're going to start calling out people and start, you know, start saying, oh, you're all bad. No, we're not those type of people. We genuinely want to help you and help you to get to a relationship with God and you and all of us, you know, we all learn from this and we hope that prayerfully you may sit with us this day, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you're just here watching this video, we thank you. For turning, uh, for turning on this episode and watching us. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Now, today, with me I have Brother Dave, Brother Sam, and Daga, also known as Isaac. <laughs> yeah, I always like calling him Daga. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this has been a wild journey, especially with all the satanism stuff. But today, but today we're going to be discussing a bit else. We're going to be discussing about all this modern-day church versus modern-day satanism. The clash between both. The clash between the modern-day church and the ideology. So I have prepared a few questions for all of us today, and just, you know, for a discussion and enlightenment, not only for the viewers, but also for ourselves together. We're just going to be having a mutual discussion. Um, so, moving on to question number one right now itself. Okay, we're recording. Moving on to question number one. With more people becoming close-minded and refusing to hear and stick to the true word of God, the true doctrine to the word of God. How are we Christians who know the truth to respond to the situation and help these people out? How are we supposed to do that? Anyone would like to answer? You can feel free I, to do so. I um, often start by sharing my testimony about how I can relate because from having come out from having listened to uh, secular worldly music and the effect it had on my life and about how when I learned and for me it was when somebody let me borrow a documentary 
called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll by Good Fight Ministries. And that was either at the very end of VHS tapes or the start of DVDs. I can't remember which, but it was a long time ago. And um, praise the Lord, I saw that and it opened my eyes to um, even like Bob Dylan and a lot of him kind of hinting at, at how the record business had basically he'd sold his soul at that point and um he's war and that it's just from an interview that you can find and that's what he kind of alluding to and it and just a lot of different stuff from that documentary and just about the uh, spiritual nature of of messing around with stuff that is um not edifying and bringing you up but it's kind of more like celebrating the more evil and degenerate kind of side and brings you down. And I started to realize that it was even beyond that, but it was, it was a spiritual thing going on. And, um, yeah, beyond some kind of hippie good, just good and bad. It was like an actual spiritual warfare. And the more that I started to read the Bible and war in that way and clean up my life, then there was a resistance coming from an enemy so i just figured and i didn't have any problem really believing because i'd grown up in a christian household believing that it was the devil and i kind of got in his his playground you know playing hanging around dungeons and dragons type stuff and um magic the gathering i never really got too much too good at it but i was always hanging around the crowds and like intrigued by the artwork and it was kind of like taking me down kind of a dark path spiritually as well. And like a lot of role-playing games on uh, like PC and early PlayStation and uh, Super Nintendo and Final Fantasy and stuff. And um, I started to realize that that could be bunched in there too because it's it's practicing witchcraft like for a big, major parts of the game and go, going after... Uh, just like sacred items and all this kind of, I started to see the pagan roots in like a lot of this stuff, comic books everywhere. And before I realized it, I realized that the getting into that kind of stuff is the, yeah, the devil's running that. So I just warned people and like, it got me back into more, more into the word. And it helped me realize what I was receiving spiritual attacks. And I, I overcame by, um, listening to bible audio and praying and um some of my friends from church and some we saw got rid of some of my items and burn them um i tried to be as transparent as i could without like revealing too much you know you don't want to tell everybody everything but but not hiding so they can help you and yeah burnt some comic books and just decided i didn't want to sell stuff and you know put that on someone else's life and um like horror movies and all kinds of stuff and um just started to feel like a burden as it went there was a struggle going on but it got better and just realized as i start to backslide into it i still never felt the same and i get out of it pretty quick and i'm really i like my hackles are really up about the worldly stuff since i've been with christ which is a good thing and um Praise the Lord. I feel more edifying, edified in my life. And I couldn't recommend um, 
getting rid of that kind of stuff out of your life. Amen. That's part of my testimony, too, thrown in there. <laughs> Thank you. And also a lot of listening to Bible audio because I had attacks in my sleep of like um, sleep paralysis, which I'd never really had before. And like um, a lot of nightmares of kind of combative, like I'm scared or like running or like escaping and never had that kind of stuff. And that was some kind of spiritual aspect of it, too. And my parents would pray for me and um, they anointed my room with olive oil i remember put some on my head and put some on like my door and yeah and i'd listen to bible audio when i slept and that helped a lot and then it just kind of naturally as i kept that stuff out of my life as a stronghold it, it kind of faded away you need to repent and yeah amen amen and I really, amen, amen. So I definitely agree with you 100% on that, Brother Dave. Um, in fact, one of the reasons why people don't seem to want to listen to sound doctrine anymore is because over time they've seemed to have convinced themselves that it's no longer relevant. Um, there's no need to learn about spiritual warfare. There's no need to learn about Satan and who he is so that you can know how to fight him. There's no more need to read the gospel again. What happened is they've convinced themselves that the Bible no longer holds any weight on their lives. And so I think that one thing that we need to do as Christians is, number one, to prevent more from slipping away. We need to show them where exactly and how exactly the Bible is still relevant um, beyond just a few stories here and there and prophecies that you might not understand. And once you realize just how truly relevant and truly amazing the gift of the Word of God is, that alone is enough to bring anyone back. And when it comes to people who refuse to listen to sound doctrine, uh, and if anybody out there who's listening, whether you're you may be one of those people, or you may know someone who is. Uh, another thing that we have to constantly be doing is be praying for these people, because the truth is, if they are truly a child of God, we must be praying for each other that the Lord would draw each and every one of us nearer to Him as the days grow darker and darker uh, before His return. And so one of the things that we have to keep doing is remind each other, as Paul says, we have to keep reminding each other of how relevant the gospel is. And when we show the whole world how relevant it is to us and our lives, we will be able to interact with many people who may have been in a similar situation, who then can find Christ because they see the answer that we have received. So that's my bit. <laughs> um, Brother Sam, we can't hear you. My problem. There is we go. Now, is, now is it good? Yeah, now it's good. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, I, I thought of just uh, chipping in a few thoughts here. Uh, I'm reminded of a parable that we find in Matthew chapter 13. This is the parable of uh, the weeds, you know, the parable of the weeds. And uh, that we read from verses 24 onwards, Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 onwards. Jesus told them this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and burn it into, uh, bring it into my barn. You know, so... Uh, we see that uh, there were a number of other parables that Jesus gave, but this one particularly applies to the context that we are talking about. You know, so uh, when we talk about uh, this um, church going through a period of, uh, um, you know, confused faith, a uh, group of people who claim to be believers, but uh, the life doesn't demonstrate, the churches lacking uh, sound teaching, uh, a general, uh, you know, lack of genuine faith in people's life. All this doesn't start overnight. You know, it's a it's a period of uh, process of decay. It's it it is both uh, intellectual. Uh, it is also a period of. Uh, you know, insolence that the church in general shows, uh, lack of willingness to stand for truth, lack of commitment to learn the truth, and lack of love for truth and to fight for truth. You know, so all this over a period of generations leads to building a community that is completely uh, given over to all kinds of confusion. Uh, Christian church story is exactly that now, you know, because uh, uh, as last week uh, we were trying to look at the history, you know, the, the Satanist forces mixed up with the Satanism as well as the Eastern mysticism actually started as a result of the liberal theology destroying the faith of uh, a generation in this land. You know, so uh, liberal theology over a period of time destroyed the uh, theology of so many people. It destroyed the faith of so many people that over a period of time, many big churches, you know, looking like, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, mountainous buildings, you know, uh, but then inside them on the pulpits were people who had no commitment to the truth. 
because they have given over to these kind of liberal ideologies. And over a period of time, these pulpits were just talking nonsense to a whole generation. And then that whole generation lost its faith. They were no more interested in seeking a God who, anyways, their preachers have shown to them that it's all meaningless. And that eventually led to a building up of uh, mindset, you know. And here comes this parable. Jesus says that, uh, you know, there is this uh, good farmer who is uh, sowing the seeds, the good seeds, but the evil one, the enemy, comes and sows all kinds of wild seeds. And so these weeds come up with the wheat, you know. So the wheat is growing, which the good farmer has sown, and the weeds also come up. Look at the conversation. The servants are telling him, why don't we just chop off the weeds, the wild ones, right now? And uh, the farmer says, no, not now. Let everything grow. And he gave a reason why he doesn't want to do that. The reason was very clear. Verse 29, he said, no, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. You may root up the wheat with them. So the problem is if I allow judgment right away into the lives of these corrupt, uh, you know, enemies of the gospel uh, right away, with that, many who were supposed to grow up as true wheat will also be destroyed. That's a very simple, plain answer Jesus gave. And so that's why he doesn't want to bring about the judgment right away. Everything is kept for a day of judgment. You know, so when we look at what is going on, this is the perspective from which we begin. You know, so there will be a constant onslaught of wild, evil philosophies, manipulative theologians, corrupted faith being propagated in so many different ways. And this will keep on knocking at the doors of uh, our family, our churches, you know, our own personal faith level, you know. And at that point, the question is all about what kind of commitment I have towards the truth. You know, do I have a genuine love to know and understand the truth? You know, truth cannot be known unless we have a genuine love for truth, a commitment to know the truth and to walk by it. If you don't, uh, if you want to be in error, the simple solution is just don't do anything, you will be in error. But to know the truth, truth is hard to find. There is a labor behind that truth. There is a commitment and a love towards that truth. Unless that is not there, uh, you know, there is no way a person is going to hold on to genuine faith. And that's the very simple reason God said the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, so very clearly, there is an active engagement on an ongoing commitment to loving. Now, so unless loving towards the truth is not there. There is a constant onslaught we will keep seeing happening in all forms and all ways, manipulating the church in general, 
and the faith of every individual. And we might potentially, if since if, if there is left a group of people, none of them showing a courage to love truth, a commitment to know truth and to love truth, we, we, we might potentially end up with a group of people who have a corrupted and twisted form of faith, which has no resemblance to the gospel that Jesus Christ gave. You know, and to a large extent, we see that demonstrated in many ways in our country. You know, uh, we were always talking about how singing is taking over uh, our generation and the singing uh, that doesn't really hold on to or anchors into the word of God, which is definitely a challenge uh, we are faced with. And on the other hand, uh, I see one more uh, thing that is corrupting the church in this nation. I don't know if uh, everybody will agree with me, but I strongly feel a lobbyist mind towards power. <laughs> Some of the pulpits have ended up thus manipulating the faith of many people into a false ideology where political power is the demonstration of truth. That's a very, very deadly poison, as poisonous as any Satanist influence. You know, so these would be my initial thoughts. Maybe towards a later time, we will look into some more in the scripture. I mean, it's quite sad, but uh, brother Sam, particularly question to you, I have to ask based on what you're saying. Um, something that came to my mind is uh, you're talking about how we would all have to face, end up facing Judgment Day for people who end up uh, di diluting uh, that kind of word of God and staying away from that kind of thing, uh, from the truth, staying away from the truth and starting to merge a bit with the culture. So what would you say about people who... Um, who are actually Christians, but they are indoctrinated, and then when we and when an individual speaks to them, they refuse to hear the truth and say that the indoctrination is valid and like there's really no other thing to it, and we're the ones being close-minded. What essentially would be the uh, like re end up result of that person? Would they? Would they still? Because I believe they would still go to heaven because anyone who's saved will go to heaven. But I mean, like, can you walk us through how that would actually work out? Someone who's actually saved but just like steers away into indoctrination. Like, how does that kind of work? Uh, you know, uh, we are actually getting into the uh, you know most divisive doctrinal uh, aspect of Christian faith. You know. Uh, which I don't want to do in this uh, conversation, uh, you know, the sovereignty of God and free will of man, those kind of issues, which I don't want to. But uh, I would definitely uh, look at it this way. If I claim that I have a re genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I have a true Christian faith as prescribed and described in the Bible, if I claim that, then one of the clear signs of that is I will have a genuine interest 
to understand what Jesus Christ wants from my life. What is his commands? How can I be obedient to him? This is a natural outcome of such a claim. So if I claim that I am a Christian, but I have no genuine commitment and no display of interest to know what Jesus Christ would like from my life at this point, what does his word tell me? How can I understand his scripture clearly? I'm ready to agree with what his word says. If that commitment is not showing off, then I would say that there is a definite problem with the way they have defined their Christian faith. So I would say that that shows that there is a problem with the way they have understood their Christian relation, their relationship with the true and living God. That's the way I would put it. But there is another side to it, which is the reason why Jesus gave the parable of the weeds. You know, the other side to it is there is a way in which I am growing in faith. So uh, when I was new to this faith, I was 18 years old as a college student looking for meaning in life. Uh, wasted and confused because many of my ambitions were broken. So uh, I just couldn't digest that and I was looking to understand what life is all about. That's when I finally had an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ when I uh, understood that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to have a relationship with me and that is where life begins for me. So when I was in my initial years, years of uh, my faith, there were many things I was not able to fully understand. And there was a way in which I could have been manipulated by anybody's teachings because of my lack of comprehension of God's word or a full uh, depth of uh, uh, the faith or uh, you know, the, the lack of intimacy that could have developed over the years. Because of all these reasons, there can be all possibility that I might slip away from that faith. You know, and so that is the reason why Jesus used that parable, that I'm just not going to judge anybody right away. Judgment is reserved for the last moment, you know, when the final judgment comes up. Till then, everybody has the opportunity to look back and consider their life. Everybody will have an opportunity that the Holy Spirit is constantly talking to them, explaining to them, bringing to their clarity what true facts should be, what true faith should be, how they must understand the faith in Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will do everything possible for them to understand. That's why Christian faith is a very spiritual faith. It's not an intellectual faith. Uh, like it is intellectual in all its sense, but it's not just a set of knowledge that we hold. It is a engagement with the spirit of God when he's speaking to me. And there is a live engagement with the Holy Spirit who speaks to me and wants to transform my life. This engagement is very real. No Christian can ever say that God is not trying to deal with me. There cannot be a Christian in this whole world. 
because then god's word has failed in that case because god very clearly said that the moment you believe i sent my spirit to live with you and he is the one who illumines you he is the one who guides you so the spirit of god in very real terms is engaging with me so he is working in my life so that i may see the truth of the gospel if i genuinely love this god the spirit will illumine me and guide me into all truths that's why god kept all the judgment to the last day he has given me from my age 18 when i got converted to the day i will die the whole spectrum of life days are available for me there is all possibility i may give in to manipulation but god constantly 24 by 7 365 days is at work in my life so that i may hold on to the truth i may understand the truth and grow in that truth but it's all about whether my life demonstrates that i love the lord with all my heart my soul my mind and my strength otherwise this manipulation is bound to take over me and destroy my life you know that's the way i would look at it so i i would love to listen to our brothers here Yeah, I actually got one thing to say on that because I agree with everything you just said, but I I would like to clarify something too because one thing that I notice um, seems to be coming out slightly here, um, but not too much. Um, but there is a difference between having a disagreement on what the scripture says between two people who are truly trying to follow it, and having a disagreement with someone who wants to change it. the scripture to fit their own ideology. And I believe that's kind of what it boils down to when it comes to the wheat and the tares because like what brother Sam was saying, you know, like you know, someone may believe in a pre-trib, mid-trib or post-trib rapture, but I believe that in the end, you know, they can all three equally be saved and all three equally be as uh, as faithful as the other. Um, but then you have people who would go out and they would say, "Oh, well, you know, did God really say no sex before marriage? Or did God really say um, that I can't uh, steal even if it's something small? Or uh, did God really say that little white lies are not okay?" And so those are the two types of things we have to consider when trying to discern whether someone is. Um, possibly a wheat or possibly a tear because when it comes to christian influence and a lot of people who are deceived there are some things that we view as someone being deceived but when reality is just we both love god but we both um have read certain passages of passages of the bible differently and then there are some people who are deceived in the sense where they didn't like what they read so therefore they're still trying to find ways around what they read to excuse their old way of living. And so when I believe um, when the scripture talks about the wheat and the tares, uh when a lot it says that a lot of people will be tares or a lot of people aren't genuine Christians, I don't believe that that uh the tares would be narrowed down to something like um did you believe which when did you believe the rapture was going to happen relative to the tribulation or it's not going to boil down to um could you lose your salvation over blaspheming the holy spirit or does it mean that you never had it to begin with it's mainly going to boil down to okay 
you know, I gave you my Holy Spirit and I gave you my word written in scripture. Did you do your best to honor me and follow me throughout your life? Did you listen to what I said? Did you obey what I had commanded you? That's what it's going to boil down to uh, when it comes to weeding out the wheat and the tares. And so like what Brother Sam was saying, you know, you run into a lot of these different people uh, with these false ideologies. Some of them are genuinely uh, deceived, but they are willing to follow Christ because they love him more than anything. And When confronted with the truth, they change their position. Um, but then there are some people who are so hard headed and gung ho for what they believe that even when confronted with the truth, they will still try to go headstrong right into the truth and try and confront it with whatever they have to make excuses for what they believe, not for what the truth really is. So I just just thought that's a uh, distinction that should be made as well, because, you know, I know some people are probably going to be listening and hearing that they're going to be like, oh, well, what about, you know, if somebody has a disagreement on a certain passage of scripture? Um, so, I mean, when it comes to things like that, there's a lot of discernment and discretion that needs to be involved. Um, but not everybody who disagrees with each other is a wheat or a tear. Um, but not everybody who claims to be Christian is actually going to be wheat, you know? Sure. Uh, in fact, uh, I loved the way Brother Isaac had put it. Uh, just to anchor that in the scripture again, you know, when Jesus was asked which was the greatest command, he said two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that was, you know, a proper understanding of God and a proper understanding, a, a proper relationship with God. That was one. Second, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said, this is the greatest of all commands. This was known as the greatest command. So in a Christian in a Christian's life, you know, to understand the quality or the type of faith that a person has, whether whether this person is really, uh, you know, growing up as a uh, as a wheat or uh, he is a weed, you know, the difference between them can be demonstrated from these very commands. You know, so anything that manipulates my understanding about God who God is, how does God connect with me? How does God communicate? How did God reveal? What did God do? How can I know that God is the one who did what happened? You know, so these kind of things, the doctrine about God, you know, so, so the Christian faith is very clear. You cannot be a, a Christian unless God is a triune God. You cannot be a Christian Unless Jesus Christ is called God, you cannot be a Christian unless you agree to the fact that God, Jesus Christ, became man and he died on the cross and on the third day he rose back to life. So when I say I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, it's a clarity about who God is and how God communicates. You know, and how God connects with me. That's one. The second part is loving my neighbor as myself. It's 
as simple as saying you know about uh, this is about morality you know the the moral principles so any interpretation within the christian community that manipulates who god is and how god connects with me and anything that manipulates my moral principles for life they are definitely weeds trying to destroy you know it's as simple as that anyone which is trying to manipulate this but if anybody is saying you know in my church this is the way we arrange our worship and this is the way we have, we develop a pattern for worship the other one says oh no my church is little different how can your church do all that our church you know we have this pattern this is more godly these people may fight with each other but god is still able to work in both people's life and they can both be genuine believers because worship practices are patterns they are not principles they are patterns patterns can be different god didn't make the patterns absolute but for him the principles are absolute the principles are my understanding about god and my understanding about morality how i connect you know so these two are uh, non negotiables in christian you know and these are fundamentals to christian faith this defines what will happen to me as a christian believer is to think you know none of the other things hamper what will happen to me as a christian you know so so as uh, isaac said rightly you know there may be some uh, you know confusion about uh, details of how i have interpreted the doctrine that may be different but anything that confuses the morality itself so when somebody says right. you can have sex before marriage okay that's a moral question i have to go back to jesus christ and see what did jesus christ say what does the scripture suggest to us about sexuality you know if the scripture is very clear that sexuality is meant to be an act within marriage then i have no right to manipulate habits of sexuality to accommodate my desire i am trying to encroach upon the moral principles that god has already defined you know so if i'm trying to manipulate that if my church is trying to manipulate that if i have bible teachers who are trying to manipulate that they are definitely poisonous they are weeds who are trying to manipulate my faith you know so that's the way i would try to put the same thing that uh, our brother i just tell Brother Dave, anything you'd like to add into that? Oh, uh, I just wanted to read a, a scripture. Go ahead. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 through 21. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part. out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book he which testifieth these things saith surely i come quickly amen even so come lord jesus the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all amen amen i want to say that yeah even god ends the word with with uh final finalizing how seriously he takes um 
his, that he will preserve his word and that he takes it seriously not um, to change or try and corrupt, like Brother Sam was saying, to um, make it mold into anything of man or anything but that it's set in stone. And that's one thing I've always loved about the Bible. And, and that, um, yeah, I just wanted to read that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very trustworthy. You can always trust the Bible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That was an awesome addition, you know, because that kind of just cemented everything that we were just saying. Amen. That's what it boils down to. We choose not to change it. Amen. All right. Um, since this is getting really good discussion, I don't want to spend too much time on on question one. We have two more questions to go. So question number two. We see many, and, and this is pretty much talking, uh, backing up what we were saying a bit earlier. We see many influential, influential modern-day preachers preaching the Word of God without context and very much watered down. As Paul states, many people will reject sound doctrine, and they will have itchy ears looking for people to preach what they want to them. How are we to address this situation? without it coming off as judgment. Now, something that I would like to explain is the difference between the judgment and an exhortation. Because in order for us to properly answer this, we need to know what is the difference between a judgment and an exhortation. Judgment is the standards. Like, we have our own standards, our own moral principles, and our own moral values. And then when we see someone doing something else wrong, we, we go ahead and critique it based on our own moral standards, saying, okay, based on what I know and based on what I consider as bad and good, did this person do something that's bad, good, or in the middle? That's judgment. And then our response to what their action is, that's judging by our own standards. Now, what I like to call exhortation, which is what a lot of Christians get mixed up saying, you know, you can't properly uh, you can't tell someone when they're wrong because you might hurt their feelings or you'll end up becoming judging them. And sometimes you'll get that used against you saying that you're judging them. Uh, this is how I like to respond. It's, it's not judgment. It's an exhortation when you use the word of God to back yourself up and then to provide as a discipline to that. And what you're actually doing when you're doing an exhortation is you're not essentially calling out the individual there. You're calling out the corrupt ideology in which the, uh, in which the individual is holding steadfast onto. So then in that scenario, what's going to happen is you're calling out what they are believing in as wrong and trying to help them understand the truth behind it and correcting them and correcting their thought by using the Bible as the basis on that, which is what Paul did. Um, so, Brother Sam, um, Brother Dave, uh, Isaac, anyone would like to answer that question? Or would you like me to repeat that question again, because I took a bit uh, explaining that. Yeah, so, uh, I, I got the question, okay, and... Honestly, uh, upon hearing that question, I was reminded of two passages specifically. Um, first one is in 1 Corinthians 11, um, and it's where Paul is talking about uh, taking Holy Communion. 
Um, and just after he talks about the process of eating the bread and, and uh, taking the cup, he goes on to say in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So, first things first, you know, when it comes to exhorting the brethren, we need to make sure that we have judged ourselves properly um, when it comes to us saying something. So, like, for example, uh, would you take advice from an alcoholic on how to stop drinking? Or would you take advice from a uh, cigarette manufacturer on how to stop smoking? It, it just doesn't add up. So if we are to exhort the brethren, we ourselves have to be firm in that which we are exhorting. Um, the second passage is in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it will be measured to you again. And why do you behold the mote that's in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the beam that's in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, let me pull the mote out of your eye, and behold, the beam is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First cast out the beam from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to cast out the mote of your brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast you your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. This being said, you know, because a lot of people will try to, you know, are really quick to give advice on every single topic that pops into their mind, or they're willing to help anybody out, which is really awesome, you know, to have a desire to help people. But before you exhort a brethren in something, in a way that they're living, or in something that they're doing, you first have to make sure that you yourself are not guilty of that, that you yourself are living a life according to the scriptures, to the best of your ability, and to the best of your knowledge. Then you have to let the Holy Spirit guide you and how to exhort them in such a way where it would not come off as you trying to assert yourself, but rather a constructive admonition to your friend, your brother, or whoever it may be. Constructive admonition to turn their lives around for their own benefit. Yeah, I, I was thinking of uh, this question this way mm, you know I, I'd like to at least bring in two to three different angles to look at it mm -hmm. so one is if somebody says you are wrong because you are judgmental if somebody tells me like this you are wrong because you are judgmental I have a question to that person and the question is is that your judgment about me Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so if somebody says you are wrong because you are judgmental so he also just made a judgment about me mm. but the judgment he made is that anyone who makes judgment about others is wrong but he just made a judgment about me so that means he is wrong by his own confession you you got the point i'm trying to make yeah that's pretty interesting that's he, that's yeah that's the suicide tactic in uh, from the right. colombo in tactics yeah. so this is called you know the law of non contradiction you know so when when somebody makes a contradictory assumption by killing his own argument the very argument he's trying to propose he kills by making a statement you know and these are called unaffirmable statements what i'm trying to reach at is why do you think being judgmental is wrong why is it wrong you know see if you are not judgmental how in the first place can you help your newborn baby grow up as a responsible child yeah if you are not judgmental how will you in a school as a teacher be able to tell a particular student that you are weak in such and such things you need to improve or else you will have a difficult life ahead if that teacher doesn't have the ability to be judgmental how will she be able to guide a student like this right so judgmental being judgmental is not wrong in itself that's a simple conclusion you know just because i was judgmental doesn't make it a moral error the question is what was i judgmental about that makes it good or bad right so if somebody comes to uh, my church for sunday worship wearing jeans and t-shirt and i go to a church where everybody comes only in coat suit and tie you know and if i go to him and say that oh you a man of weak faith you have come with jeans and t-shirt that's in plain english that stupidity <laughs> so so if somebody thinks that faith is defined by these kind of things and these kind of judgments he is giving then he is beyond scripture he is in another world he is from another planet you know so so that i would consider foolish judgmentalism but there is a right sense in which i should be judgmental there is a good way in which we all are judgmental about each other that's why as a democracy we have a group of people who agree to republican view of economics and nation building and there is another group of people who would say that they have the democratic view of uh, economic development and running the states you know it's because we have a proper definition for judgment to apply in these areas that's why we have this to distinct groups of people on this in this nation so judgmentalism in itself is not wrong if anybody says that i am wrong because i am judgmental he just destroyed his own case by being judgmental you know so that's as simple as that so i believe that i have room to be judgmental i have room to tell somebody that you are wrong now the question is scripture says 
the point is all about how you make that statement that's the difference that is where it becomes healthy and productive or destructive you know depending on uh, whether when you made that judgment call on somebody's lifestyle did the love of christ did the patience of christ did the power of christ did the lordship of christ you know did the sacrificial willingness to help of christ get demonstrated in that judgment statement that i made about that brother you know when those things are not displayed in my judgment and i show myself as from a lofty high holy standard and you unworthy sinner kind of mindset if that is the way i approach everybody will see that i am nasty and this is not a good form of judgment and so scripture definitely asks us to avoid that kind of judgmentalism and we should not be party to that kind of judgment habits so i have all the right to tell somebody that if they are promoting uh, false understanding of sexuality and definitions of identity in their community in their church i have all the right to tell them you are wrong you are going against good science you are going against god's revelation you are becoming disobedient to what is right i have all the right to tell them but the question is whether when i'm telling all this whether the love of christ and all the other listed things about christ is definitely revealed through my life you know here i just wanted to add in uh, on one note that uh, isaac brother isaac brought mm-hmm. in you know uh, he he quoted from matthew chapter 7 the interesting part is the whole conversation begins like this matthew chapter 5 verse 1 you know matthew chapter 5 verse 1 that's where the conversation is actually starting which our brother isaac quoted from chapter 7 so chapter 5 verse 1 now when he saw the crowd he went up to the mountain sat down his and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying you see the interesting context he moved to the mountain his disciples came to him and the teaching that he began is for his disciples you know that's noteworthy here the teaching is for his disciples now let's see how the conversation ends chapter 7 the last verses you know chapter 7 the last verses when jesus had finished saying these things the crowd were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority not as their teacher of law <laughs> so basically the context says the whole crowd was listening jesus wanted the whole crowd to know what the teaching is all about but the teaching is actually for his disciples <laughs> in the context of the world let my people know what i want out of them you know it's as simple as in the sight of the whole world let the crowd hear what what i am expecting from my people 
and this teaching is for my people. You know, so it's as clear as that. So to these disciples, he said, you know, what is the point if you have problems in your own life, moral issues, and you are trying to point to others and telling them about their moral issues? So, yes, it is not as a command. He said that, therefore, you should not do. You know, so sometimes some Christians might want to use it as a manipulative argument, you know, saying that, see, this is written like this, therefore you should not judge. No, Jesus did not make a command to Christians saying that, therefore you should not judge. He didn't say like that. He said, what is the point if your life is like that? So it was basically a chastisement to the disciple that I'm expecting that you become a true light to this world. You know, if you are going to question the axioms of identity and sexuality in this world to the people around, to the crowd, let it be very clear that the way you define identity and sexuality in your life is one that is worthy of God's call. Then it is God's work to make it beautiful and relevant and true to the whole crowd. You know, so as Christians, my, my call is that I should be judgmental. I should call out what is wrong as wrong. But at the same time, I have not done anything wrong by being judgmental because being judgmental is a good thing as long as it is done within the context of the way Jesus Christ wants it. And when that is done, and in my life, that holiness is truly revealed, then it is God's work to bring about the good out of the judgment that I have done. You know, that's the way I would look at it. Amen. Amen. That is, yeah. That that's yeah. That's that's pretty much on point. Like the true intention behind your judging. Like, are you mm. going to judge because like you just hate the person for their lifestyle, and or are you going to judge because you want to correct them? And at the same time, even if you're judging to correct them in a loving uh, brother and sister like way, uh, you have to make sure that you are still living that lifestyle that which you claim that you want them to hear. So not only are you saying it, but you're also living in the same way. Yeah, I can fully like understand that. Um, so coming to, uh, let's see. So we see, you know, Brother Dave, you wanted to add something in? I, I hear yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, okay, Salvi. I was just going to say one thing. Yeah, it's all about not not having that sin in your life, you know what I mean? So you, so then you can speak on it. Yeah. Having it removed from your eyes. So you're able to, um, correctly see and, um, eat, um, warn your brother basically. <laughs> so amen. That's all I had to say. Yeah. Well, yeah, true. Like, you know, you can't like partially, you can't, you can't do this and, and you say like, Oh, look at that. Like you need your full sight truly identify the problem there yeah and then they can't say you're a hypocrite too because you're not being a hypocrite because you're you've overcome that and anyway and and then in the same and in the same thing you're still glorifying god in both ways not only are you correcting them but you're also being a light like hey look this isn't like one of those other people he's actually sticking to his stuff and, it, and it's also yeah definitely a way of loving your brother too because a stumbling block Sometimes people won't even know exactly till somebody points it out, or the Lord will use you to point it out to somebody, and then when it's taken care of, the Lord, uh, the Lord will take care of it, and the enemy won't have access through that uh, that gateway of 
the ongoing sin. Amen. And that's that's part of Ephesians. Ephesians is kind of a book almost for for people who are already saved because it's telling you about how to put on the armor, how to engage in spiritual warfare. Be, and um, you can definitely be saved from reading, uh, want to be saved and be saved from reading Ephesians. But it is, I noticed that's all about spiritual warfare and like um, a big part of it, yeah, is uh, having, being, living holy and letting the Lord sanctify your life so that you're um, more able to be used. And, and it's an ongoing process and the Lord, a lot of it is, yeah, just the Holy Spirit you'll just well, feel un une unease about sin or about something and you'll just know and repent and, and then you can help others a big part of it too yeah is and you'll know when you're being a hypocrite if you're um calling somebody out at least in my case the lord will let you know pretty quick like you better either stop talking on that or pray for forgiveness before you're going to be talking about that you know like talking to somebody about say like watching violent movies or something but then i have like james bond or something so it's like it yeah it's funny it's easy to be a hypocrite i've in in um it's an ongoing thing yeah for years the lord's been working on me and but it's definitely done out of love in my and if it's in biblical sense it's in love because you want to help them be in a good place with the lord and if they're already born again you want to help them be good um in their own life and also able to help other people and be useful and in moments notice and it's also part of being sober and vigilant that's another yeah so you're always ready amen absolutely amen all right well that was just wonderful um yeah that was a really good discussion we had there we're going to be moving on to our last question right now which is question number three this is going to be very in-depth to discuss topic um yeah but anyways let me get to the question let me make sure i'm muted okay God, I'm muted. okay so christian songs are one of the main ways that the gospel is reaching listeners even today you know you hear more christian songs than messages like the, that's pretty much the ratio like you hear songs first so you know, the gospel message is being spread through that. Songs have been shown to impact the soul and change lives forever. However, with many songs that have watered down and have lost their theological meaning, this is impacting baby Christians and lukewarm Christians, as well as regular Christians in the wrong way, changing the ideologies and the core concepts. How are we as Christians who know the truth and see the 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 falseness in this to react to such kinds of indoctrination and to show the truth to these people and help them understand what's going on here so first thing i would like to ask is are you trying to get your listeners to stop <laughs> just just 
It's yeah, important. I, I honestly, I just want, <laughs> let me just quickly address that. Because yeah. I, I, before I did a podcast on this where I directly talked about songs, Christian songs, what are we listening to? And we literally went on for an hour talking about how Christian music was bad and how, like, like we were just judging. And I, and I saw the hate. I saw the hate. But honestly, what really, um, you know, what honestly, what um, made me phrase it that way is because it's important that because a lot of these indoctrination tends to spread subtly you know no one's gonna force indoctrination like shove it right in your face and say here here's indoctrination take it no they're not gonna do that they're gonna uh, seep it in subtly through all the cracks and holes that have not been fully cleaned up and it's gonna seep in so if i put this subtly then the message is really not gonna go through but so it has to be put as direct as possible, which is why I worded it that way. So yes, go ahead, Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because honestly, like I would have to agree with you on that, because like you know, there are times where I turn on the radio and I hear a love song, and then it's like you were just listening to your local Christian station. I was like, what? <laughs> that was Christian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so I would have to definitely agree with you on that. Um, and I know that for me, uh, personally, what helped me to with that was to distinguish for myself before I got into the music. Because like, there was a point where uh, when I was coming back to the faith that I was really questioning a lot of the things that I was taught. And because of that, I actually... Um, weeded out my playlist from all the different, you know, contemporary stuff. And I just, I honestly didn't even listen to music that much during that time, simply because I just didn't want any false messages to be shoved into my head before God got to me. And so, uh, although granted, now that it's been a while, uh, my playlist has kind of compounded a little bit since then i've got some contemporary stuff some older stuff uh gospel music different stuff like that but the thing is you know before you start choosing before anybody should start you know listening to music or trying to get their doctrine from music they should first look to see what their doctrine they're seeking truly is like before you listen to a song that you that claims to be Christian and take it and say, oh, well, that makes so much sense, you know, I'm going to apply that to my life. Before you do that, take a moment, read the scriptures, do some research, pray, ask the Holy Spirit about what you just listened to. And is that message from God or is that a wolf in sheep's clothing trying to steer you away? And I believe that, you know, the reason why this seems to be an issue a lot of times these days is because people are so eager to accept something that seems so cool and, you know, in style that they don't take a moment to actually listen to what it is people are really saying. Like, I know that if half of the people in the whole world read this Satanist Bible and took it literally, I'm pretty sure we would see a lot less of Satanism coming up simply because there's a lot of different things in there that are just morally and philosophically just not right. And I believe the same way with music. I believe that if people just took a moment to stop and actually 
think about what people are saying in these songs, a lot of these popular artists and a lot of these popular musicians and stuff, they wouldn't be as popular as they are mm -hmm. um, because people would say, hey, wait a second, I don't agree with that, you know? Mm -hmm. Makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I would like to do us for my uh, my contribution. I'd like to do a scripture reading in Second Peter. I would like to read, and I'm a good reader. I'll make it go fast. But I'd like to read the entire chapter two. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should live ungodly. And deliver just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwellings among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness, and despise government, presumptuousness are they self-willed, they are not afraid to speak of dignities, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are in blemishes, sporting, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart which they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, Clouds that are carried with the tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For whom they speak great swelling words of vanity, they are lured through the lusts of flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they that have for after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. 
But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So in my in my mind, that tells me that there's um, a price to be paid to follow the corruption of, of false riches and popularity through seeking. And it's, it's something that comes at the church and in church leaders. And it's a kind of pride. And it's like all of it rolled into one, the pride and the, the money and the it blinds can blind people and there's a spiritual darkness and it's been going on a long time and it's easy to become entangled with and the lord sends people to through his word ta um you know reprove people when stuff is going wrong and the lord will let you know if it's to be done openly or in in um to them personally calling them or talking to personally maybe an agent or something like if they're a big time star you know but it you should never be silent and give up on trying to get god's word through to people and pray for them and um you know you can pray and fast and just for one person and i'm sure it could make all the difference yeah. and let people know that maybe what's behind your music is is to is i could totally hear what brother was saying about um the worldly you can barely tell if it's like um a, a world completely worldly or singing to the lord and it's got to the i grew up listening to christian radio and that was something that really blessed me and it's unfortunately through the years it's become less of a blessing i less and less and it's to the point where around the time when they started having the the award shows for the gospel award shows and stuff and like that i started to notice that's like when the the money men creeped in or something the lawyers i'm not sure it's just like it really started to change and it's it's unfortunate but it can definitely it isn't the end and if people can see that that's an inlet that's letting bad stuff happen then uh, i've seen it go go in the opposite direction and then moving away from even so yeah it, it definitely happens and a lot of it has to do with prayer and praying and you know, whatever you do, be able to back up with the word of God. And like I try and carry a concordance, a paper concordance even, so you're never really stumped. And that's what I try and do so that um, also in addition to having a Bible with you or even an extra one to give away, just then you'll always have, you'll start to learn real quick uh, God's word better and where to find stuff and talk to people and help them because it's one thing to be able to say the verse kind of paraphrase but it's one thing to be able to point to it in the bible it gets people more excited and it's just more uh, i've noticed that it's just an awesome reaction having an actual bible knowing where to find something and pointing it to somebody get them excited about the bible too and it's actually kind of an oddity to carry a paper bible anymore so even if it's just one in your pocket or something like people know yeah. this, keep an extra one like i said if they like it give it to them amen yeah definitely i agree with everything you said on that brother dave um wholeheartedly thank you praise the lord and a lot of it, also one thing that came to mind is that documentary I watched, what really spoke to me, the 
they sold their souls for rock and roll by good fight ministries had how it starts it tries to start you off like innocently with britney spears you know then next it's madonna and they they put him in the super bowl show they kind of just like they they try and indoctrinate you and then it gets more and more um basically leading you into the occult and kind of pagan and like the lust of the eyes and the flood and everything's kind of selfish and um and then um yeah that spirit kind of starts to take over that way and it can be very deceptive and that's especially how it gets to children really the candy coated stuff but it's really like poison it's basically and they went through this thing on there and i really agreed with that and i was starting to notice that even on my own but luckily it was really cool kind of had a documentary that really put it all together. The full version's like eight hours. I think the one that she had was Let Me Borrow is four hours. Yeah, it's still around. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's comprehensive. There's another one called Hell's Bells, The Dangers of Rock and Roll. And they showed me that as a real young kid. But at the at the time where I, I like knew to stay away from Ozzy and, and ACDC and stuff. And that, and that was kind of part of what really helped me too. And, and part of it is I had got into uh, where I lived in. I grew up in Albany, Oregon, and it's a big, insane clown posse is really popular there. A label called Psychopathic, and it's uh, a juggalo underculture, and it's almost like their church. It's like their whole belief. They have like a system of belief, and they'll only talk to like other juggalos. Just kind of like, it's kind of like a skateboarding type community, almost you could say, kind of weird but i started to get into that music and it's very satanic and it started to manifest itself more and more until the point where it started to get into kind of their kind of off groups one was called dark lotus and i just it was like straight up like summoning demons basically but like really deceptively well-made music and stuff but i just really had to separate myself and like tech nine i i um saw him when he came to town once and i just like that really just like yeah like the, the wicked spirit or whatever i could like palpable and that i started to and nowadays i like it's cool that i have that as a testimony at least can um because i can really relate because a lot a good place to go and evangelize to people is outside concert venues and just kind of hang out and talk to people and and i'm definitely not happy i listen to that music but that i can relate that it just yeah it's straight it's very deceptive i started yeah like as a kid listening to them. the doors and stuff and the beatles and they're turn now that i know better they're some of the most demonic because they just are seeped in in, in being demonic and it's real sad but and yeah i started to just and that's how i was brought into it and by the end of it i was just short of listening to like just I got, yeah, you sear your conscience a little bit. I didn't get a seared conscience, but I was starting to get there a little bit and it scared me. And then the Lord of that lady intervene and let me borrow that thing. And it made me, that's how I made sense to me. Praise the Lord. I wish I'd have just known anyway, you know, but I was just a dumb kid. I guess. I, it helped, it helped me kind of speed up the process or something, but I knew there was something wrong going on. I wasn't, the church I was going, wasn't heavy on being convicted talking about sin very much i came from a baptist background and going to a baptist christian school and 
kind of that's another thing kind of wavered into like the super like almost like hippie church you know like everything's mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm sure yeah it's like yeah it's like really, the everything's okay church yeah and then and then i that the lord used that to kind of like kickstart me but I, I knew like they would have a band come through like rock and roll worship circus and they weren't for sure they weren't overtly satanic they were singing you could hear some godly mess but it just always rubbed me the wrong way just now is the lord working on me too i'm like rock and roll worship i'm like what is this you know just it was though that was freaking me out and it was like yeah the lord really worked on me and it praise the lord and and that, here's another cool part i just remember was this girl that i had a crush on and we we would go to church and just always kind of friends she was t- saying that they had all been praying for me at this home group that she'd go to that I would start coming and like that people would are they yeah they were praying they would like soften my heart I guess I was kind of a bad kid or something I just remember being like a skateboarder drank beer type kid and not too bad but kind of but I guess yeah they're all praying for me so that's good they're kind of worried about me but I'm sure that had a lot to do with it and then that lady came along shortly after and let me borrow that and Mm-hmm. Yeah, praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, on uh, see, I, I've never been into music, so I really don't know so much about the music side. Uh, so consider this just an opinion. You know, probably I might surprise you guys with some of my thoughts. Uh, uh, so uh, you see, uh, scripture actually the way. It teaches us many, it gives us some surprises, you know. So the Lord Jesus Christ uh, took a pagan culture, baptism, you know. It was a pagan practice of many neighboring countries. He took that, gave a Christian meaning to it. And now everybody knows that as an ultimate Christian practice, you know, the the sign of being a Christian, baptism, you know. So, So... so Jesus redeemed a practice of the culture and gave it a new meaning with which we know. Now, there were other things pagans were doing. They used uh, fanciful pictures, stone images of their gods and worshipped them, bowed down to them, did fanciful things in front of that uh, uh, altar. Did Jesus permit us to take all that and start using that models also and just keeping Jesus in imagery of Jesus Christ? No, he did not give us that freedom. He told us straightforward, idolatry will be considered as one of the vilest of all sins. You know, In fact, Revelation 21 verse 8 very clearly says that the people who are going into the uh, um, uh, ultimate punishment, one of the people labeled there is idolaters. So 100% Jesus Christ did not want to redeem that habit that pagans had. But there were some other things that pagans had. Jesus had no problem bringing it into his teaching and giving it a Christian meaning and allowing people to use. You know, so keeping that in the backdrop, you know, I I just wanted to take us to Genesis chapter 1. You know, so the first uh, romantic song ever sung was by Adam. You know, Adam sung that and right in the presence of God himself. You know, right when God was there, he sang, you know, you are the bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. Uh, Probably the most uh, uh, romantic statements for that 
time to be our son. So God had no problem. He's singing a song for Eve. You see, God allowed that singing, that romantic singing to take place in his presence. So I don't really feel that God has a problem in romantic language or expressions. But there was a context in which it was done. Adam to his wife Eve. Yeah. And so within that context, God considered it good and holy and something to be engaged in. And God did not feel anything unholy when he was also present there and Adam was singing. So there is a good way in which romantic language expressions, all that have a holy use for a Christian to express their relationship with their spouse. So, so that way, I do not really see that as evil. But as our brother Dave rightly brought out from 2 Peter chapter 2, that was a very interesting set of verses while he was reading. I just observed that. You know, uh, verse 3 onwards, chapter 2, verse 3 onwards. Uh, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Uh, sorry, verse 2 onwards. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. That's interesting. I think uh, Brother's version said, use use people as merchandise, right? Something like that. Yeah, make yeah. merchandise of you. Yeah, Merchandise of you, you know. Use yeah. you as a merchandise, you know, to make money out of you. Many people... Uh, use these avenues of expression as means to make money. They're making money using me as a tool. That's what scripture is telling. That's what is going on in this world. So there is a desire in me which has a good use, a right use within its context, but it can be manipulated, used to make money, and thus corrupt the heart and mind of many. So that's what we are seeing with singing as well. Now, I just wanted to, you know, conclude my thoughts with this uh, Psalm chapter 96. Psalm 96. You know, there are a few beautiful set of words about uh, singing that uh, Jesus Christ brings out. So, uh, uh, the, the songwriter brings out here. Sorry. The songwriter brings out. You know, and... Uh, this is what he says, verse 1, 96, verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. So sing to the Lord a new song. Singing is a part of celebrating God and our relationship with God. So singing is to be used in a good way. Sing a new song. A new song can come only when you are creative. Can you wait a little bit? So a new song can come only when you are creative. So creativity is a good thing. You know, coming up with new songs, new Christian songwriters, new Christian songs, all that is good. Scripture says it is very much valid and God loves us to be creative in our expressions, coming up with new songs. There is absolutely no problem. Then he goes on to give a context to it. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glories among the nations. 
So he says, what is this creativity to be used for? Singing praise to the Lord. Proclaiming his salvation and declaring his glory. You know, singing, proclaiming, declaring. You know, each version will have their own words. You know, so it's bringing about the intenseness, the depth, and the beauty of my relationship with God in new songs, creatively expressing myself, I would really enjoy and I would really think that's a good spiritual exercise as more and more people are coming up with this. But as our brother Dave rightly said and mentioned some of the incidents that is going on, when it becomes an avenue to use me as a merchandise and make money out of it, and that's the only pursuit, God has far left the whole exercise. God has left that exercise. God is no more using it. Now, you may be making money using me as a merchandise. You may be making money by writing new songs, but God is not there. So singing, it can be used for romantic purposes. God allowed it to be used right in his presence, but in a right context. Adam with his wife. So there is good room for those kind of singing as long as it is in its right context. But come on, come on. The that God is uh, the singing that we were mostly discussing here was about the Christian music. And so that's why I wanted to come to this portion where he says, you know, singing a new song, being creative is all godly. It is a God given thing. God gave it as an expression of our experience with God that we may use it. And it will all be good as long as, you know, we don't use it as a merchandise, as a tool to use humans as a merchandise. Amen. So that is something we as Christians have to uh, be careful about and uh, discipline ourselves. You know, as I said, I have no idea about singing and music. Uh, I've, I've heard a few songs. I love listening to music but I really don't have uh, an in-depth experience into these things and uh, what people can do with all this. So, so just to give, an, give a context to my thought process, you know, now rapping, you know, now rapping can, <laughs> you know, rapping can become very ugly and very, very nasty and it can manipulate the desires of young men, especially rapping has a kind of connection to, uh, I would say, the young hearts and minds. Uh, at least that's the way I'm looking at it. You know, it's an opinion. <laughs> I'm not an expert in this. So just my feelings about rapping, you know, that's what I'm saying. So when I hear rapping, I feel like it tingles the heart and mind of a young blood. You know, the way the music is arranged. What I think is, I really don't find a problem with the way the music is arranged. Because music is an ability God has given. It can be arranged in different ways by different people in different traditions, in different cultures. That doesn't make it ugly. What makes it ugly is the content and the context. When the content and the context don't match each other, and it doesn't justify 
what God intended out of it, like Adam when he was singing to Eve, it was a context and it was fulfilling a purpose which God had already designed. So it was good. But when I use this creative ability to mix up the context and the content and use it to manipulate the tingling ears of a young blood, I have used it for satanic purposes. But that doesn't mean, like personal opinion, as I said, that doesn't mean that I think rapping is bad in itself. I do not think like that. I think it is a way of expression God has given, which probably can be used in the right way, given the creator creator of songs is able to give the context and content its rightful place. In a way in which it proclaims the salvation, it declares the glory, and it sings praises to the Lord God Almighty. So it will have a right use. You know, that's that's my take on this. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Almost ended in a disaster right there. Um, but anyways, again, thank you for taking your time and thank you everyone here for taking your time to be part of this podcast we thank you the listener or viewer whichever platform you're using um we thank you for taking your time again we really need this the gospel and the truth of god's word to be uh, shared out you know you're living in a time where things are just really out of order and you know a lot of indoctrinations uh, seeping in but if we hold fast to the truth of God's word, we can be able to resist it and fight it back in the name of Jesus. Again, I thank you once more. And we hope to see you for our last and final episode next week. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, next week. God bless you all. See you there. Bye. See you. Thank see you. you.